0: This is the International Education Marketing Podcast, a roundup of news stories and how they might impact marketing and recruiting for the international education sector. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 85 of the International Education Marketing Podcast. I'm your moderator, Daniel Chatham, and our contributors today are
1: Ellen Grinnell Allie Liffrig All Lorraine Vera
0: Thank you so much for being with us. I'm really excited to hear what you uh, wanted to share this week and to get into our conversations around it. So Ellen, why don't you start us off?
1: Sure, yes. Thanks so much for having us, Daniel. The article that I looked into this week from Inside Higher Ed was all about trends in international student enrollment. Um, And there was a lot of data in the article from the Open Doors report, which is from the Institute of International Education, and they just posted their 2023 data on Monday. So very exciting, lots of new data to look through. The biggest sort of trend that the article was reporting on was the fact that overall numbers are up. I think it was like a 12% increase from last year. And the total number is now sort of at the pre-pandemic levels, which is really exciting considering it's only been three years since the the start of the pandemic. um, And that international student enrollment has bounced back in that sense. So super exciting there. Um, The article also touched on some trends within the makeup of international student population from this past academic year um, they talked about sort of degree program there was more graduates than undergraduates in terms of growth not like overall levels but how they were growing and then also looking at country of origin they were pointing out that Chinese students which is the largest group within international students actually didn't grow their numbers sort of decreased um, and other Students from other countries had much larger growth. So I thought that was interesting in the sense that I know and I've heard this said that there is oftentimes a lot of reliance on the Chinese international student market for international student programs at universities and the revenue that they bring in. Um, So if this is the trend and that their enrollment numbers are not growing as much, that's going to have implications for recruiting strategies and maybe trying to diversify the international student market and where we're looking to recruit.
0: Thanks for sharing that. That's an important uh, subject for us to get to. And I'm looking forward to breaking it down a little bit. Allie, how about yours?
2: Yeah, thanks for having us today. So my article is titled, Comparing Views of the U.S. and China in 24 Countries, and it's coming out of the Pew Research Center. This just came out, and it's kind of a breakdown and an infographic of a big study that they just did, researching perspectives on those countries in 24 different countries around the world. And so they did hit uh, major countries in each continent. And this study really has important implications for international education because the US has been losing its share in international students for the last couple years. So it's really important to see how we're viewed in comparison to our competition, of which China is the third largest um, host of international students. The second, of course, is the UK. So a comparison study there would be super helpful as well. Um, But a lot of these findings, so they looked at eight different areas, things like economic power, military, university reputation. A lot of these things have implications both on advertising messages to international students and prospective markets for us to look into. Yeah,
0: I can imagine that uh, the implications are significant. Uh, So, uh, and also I note that the relationship between these two articles Includes China, but one is inside um, the student population, and one is the perspective of. So maybe there's a connection that we can talk about on the other side. Well, Lorraine, let's hear about your article, and then we'll open up for conversation.
3: Hello, everybody, and thank you, Daniel, again. Well, the news that I did it is titled "Insights from Educators' Priorities for 2023 and 2024," and it talks about the goals that educators have uh, from this current education or this current academic year which will be 2023 and 2024 and 75% of the teachers said that their main goal for this year is to improve uh, and build a strong communication between them the parents and the students but they may be facing a challenge which is that most of the students come from different backgrounds different languages different um information access methods and of course also different access to um uh, homes for example most uh, some of them could be facing like they need to move around multiple times around the year so um they want to increase that communication and trust between families, guardians, and the school also.
0: That's great and uh, very timely. It seems that trust is an element in not only how our institutions individually are perceived by prospective students, but broadly, the national welcome, the national reception for international students is an important one. And I feel like that's maybe a piece of connective tissue across all three of these is how do, how do we consider trust when recruiting international students? And let's talk about trust and recruiting and, and uh, maybe what it means for the strategies that we might take.
1: Definitely. I also heard a connection when Lorraine was talking about trust. The article that I read also got in a little bit to how there are growth in in international student enrollments from other places, but they might be facing other challenges to actually enrolling like complicated visa processes in the U.S. Also things like uh, there are uh, more competitors popping up in geographic regions near them. So there's more competition so there is more of an onus on U.S. institutions to be gaining that trust to bring them in. Their numbers are growing, but if we want them to continue to grow at that rate, how do we build that messaging trust that we're going to support them through the visa process or whatever it may be?
3: Yeah, I also want to commend that. For example, I'm I'm thinking about the the word trust and this question comes to my mind. How will we react if we go to a place and nobody speak our language, and nobody understand us, and nobody tries to understand us. So how will, will will we feel, right? So when you go to a place and at least you you see that a person is trying their best to understand, to help, to you know give you something. That's where this tru- the trust the trust start you know growing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I wonder how much is how much trust comes from the community that that you're looking into and how much can come from the institution. When we are marketing international education, uh, we the, we in this case is positioned as the organization, the school or the nonprofit or what have you. And so there's an obligation to try to connect with what your market needs are, um, who your clients are, who your stakeholders are, or who your prospective students, pick your label. Um, But I'm wondering how trust might translate into that implementation of more effective communication.
1: I think one of the most powerful tools for building trust is current student testimonial. Someone who's going through it now just went through the process of applying and enrolling and has that recent experience to speak to they're a representative of the university in the sense that they're helping to promote it, but there's this element of it. It's almost more genuine because it's coming from the student, not from a, a faculty member or a staff member of the organization. And so, marketing activities like blogs. I I know I definitely if if someone put posts that they have a blog, I will like skim through. I may not read through them all, but I'm gonna skim through and and get a sense from people who have gone through it already, what their experience was. And I'm going to put more trust in that.
0: Makes sense. One of the things that you're highlighting, Ellen, is a slight distinction between how marketing for products works and how marketing for services works. The kinds of promotional strategies that works for marketing services is much more tilted towards trust building and testimonials are a very effective tool to uh, build trust. So absolutely. Yes. So student testimonials might be one form of trust-building marketing activities that could be done, and there could be others as well. Um, we, we lean towards more transparency and so-called proof about whether the service, or in this case, like a degree or a study away program or whatever, uh, whether it is effective at delivering on the promises. And that's because as as a service, you can't just return it if it didn't work. You can't come back to your home campus after a study away program and say, I didn't learn enough, whatever language. I want my money back. So the trust is really an important part of decision-making ahead of time and all kinds of recruiting activities or marketing activities that are positive trust-building activities could be a good idea.
1: Definitely. And I I think what Allie was mentioning about her article with it's like data on how the U.S. is being perceived, that kind of information could definitely feed into what trust building activities and what to focus on in those activities should be, what to address.
2: Right. I think in some ways my article is measuring trust, right? How much do folks in that country trust that if they got an education in America, it would be worthwhile? Trust that If they went to America, their standard of living would be better or that their freedom, their personal freedoms would be above average, which is what the research question was. And so I think there are so many implications for marketing strategies. When you look at some of these areas, the difference between the perception of China and the U.S. are actually not that different. Right. Like the perception of us as an economic power is very close, um, which is warranted, right? (laughs) But then the perception of our universities is way higher. The perception of our entertainment is way higher, our freedom. And so when you're talking about marketing or recruitment, trying to focus on these areas where the trust in our services is already so much greater and reinforcing that message might be more impactful than trying to push back on an area where we're not really seen as um, doing that well in that area.
0: That's a really important point, Allie. I think I think you've made um, drawn our attention to this this idea of fighting against the brand and the brand in many cases is a national brand, but we market at the institutional level. At least in the United States, every school or every school system is on its own. So in some ways, the idea of building a national Uh, of supporting our national trustworthiness is a mandate that nobody actually has authority and responsibility for, because our schools can't do that individually. It's way beyond our scope, and, and it would be mismanaged resources. So in that sense, we have limited levers as individual organizations or schools to try to influence trust at the national level. I'm wondering what the implications might be for us as institutions who are trying to establish a recruiting pipeline of international students when we don't have that sort of overarching support?
2: I think it's a unique situation where we don't have the ability to influence the national reputation, but we still need to respond to it. I think this information that I've seen here is so vital to our marketing and also our recruiting. I do want to touch on recruitment really quick, so this might not answer your question. But this study of 24 countries and like the public perception of the United States, there was one country that showed up over and over again as having a really positive perception of the United States, and that was Poland. And I don't know that Poland is a market that we have really recruited in for international students but overwhelmingly the polish public has a great perception of the united states in all eight areas and so i think in part of responding to this data could be showing us new avenues right i think in some ways it's going the path of least resistance and leaning towards an audience that is more likely to um, come be an international student with us.
0: No, that's interesting. And it suggests that we need to pay more attention to the Polish market. If if there's a predisposition towards trust and or affinity, that is, can we say, a more receptive audience to what marketing messages we may have. And there may be people that already feel like they're a good fit for our kinds of institutions. We just need to find them
1: along the lines of responding to positive perceptions that are already out there. I think in some ways this is part of what kind of led to a little bit of what my article was referencing of reliance on a particular market to, to fill sort of enrollment goals. And I think one of the important things to balance is okay, what is going to be path of least resistance to bringing in international students? Let's definitely leverage those, but also diversify and thinking about what are other paths that we're not thinking about? Because if you all of a sudden start to see a decrease, for example, with Chinese international students, they're not enrolling in as high numbers anymore. And that's what you were relying on and you haven't already diversified. Now you're kind of stuck. Um, So I think using data, in this article that you were talking about, Ali, to diversify early and proactively um, is a great way to build a sustainable
0: program. That's so important. You've just highlighted uh, a risk management issue that a lot of schools fail to pay attention to when a large percentage of their enrollment comes from one particular pipeline or one particular partnership or one particular feeder institution and then anything happens to disrupt that, it can have outsized consequences on the enrollment of the school and therefore also for its financial viability and sustainability. So that's a really important point. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. It's for that reason. Lorraine, how about some uh, some parting words?
3: Yes, I think that um, you were talking about diversification and perception and all those topics. So I think that organizations also might work on point out to the prospect students or international students why are they so important? Why it's so important to have international students in our institution our, or our school. Is it because we want um to have cultural differences or cultural diversity or we have another, you know, intentions? So I think that it will be really great like to to include that, you know? Okay, but you are an international student and we want you, because I think you will be like a great match and you can give a lot of support to this program because you come from this uh, social um, background or this cultural background. You know, I think that that's very important to make feel the international students that their attendance, it's like really valuable.
0: It's a great point, And there are lots of ways to make that happen. And I hope that we're able to unpack some of those in future episodes. Thank you all for being here. I loved hearing about the news you wanted to share and hope our listeners enjoyed this commentary as well.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.